probably turn my microphone on. Welcome in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Here on the game on your Tuesday morning, Tyler, Wes, and Chris along with you. Obviously, guys, we spent so much of yesterday reacting to a very comfortable win for South Carolina on Saturday, 47-6 to over Vanderbilt. We talked about a number of things, obviously the defense, Xavier Leggett getting over 1,000 yards, which I, apparently somebody pointed out to me this earlier. He did get a game ball on Sunday from Beamer. Do we have confirmation on that? Because I know after the game on Saturday, he said he didn't get one. So he did get one after the fact, I guess. Confirmed, yes. Confirmed, okay. Well, good for him. Finally got one, finally deserves it. Um, one thing we did not get a chance to talk about yesterday, which obviously is something that excites a lot of people anytime we do get a chance to talk about it, Lenora Sellers got into the game once again on Saturday. Um, maybe went into business on his own a little bit on that touchdown run, but nevertheless showed off the athleticism and scored on that fourth down where he kept it himself and uh, trotted in the end zone for a touchdown. And, you know, while it's not confirmed that he is definitely going to be the starter next season when Spencer Rattler has moved on from South Carolina. The prevailing thought is that it's likely going to be his job. So it's always exciting to get to see him, even in these small little bursts that we've seen him over the over these uh, couple games that he's gotten to play this season, show off that skill, show off that athleticism. And you can imagine the field day Dal Loggins can have with a guy like that playing quarterback. Yeah, it's going to be different. I think we got a little glimpse, a little piece of, of what it might be when he is the guy at South Carolina, ultimately, eventually. And... Yeah, I think that honestly is one of the best things about a blowout is you get to see some little, just little views of what might be on the way for, for a team. So, you know, I I would have loved to watch him for about a quarter go out there and run around a little bit and throw and, and all those things. But, you know, it had gotten so late that you couldn't really go out there and toss it around, I feel like. It did seem like they kept the starters in maybe longer than you would have thought they would have, maybe pulled them could have pulled her maybe a drive or two early. I, I I would say one drive earlier is when I thought they might start to to kind of pull starters. And, you know, there's one play where it was actually another one of his better plays of the day where, where Rattler sort of ran away from pressure and he got hit and he got the ball off to Mario Anderson. And that was on his last drive of the game. And that was right before he threw that ball to Omega Blake for a touchdown. And... When he got hit on that one, I, that's when I was kind of thinking, "All right, guys, let's let, let's maybe let's maybe get him out of here." But I, I do wonder, wasn't that right after another Vandy turnover, another Vandy fumble? I think so. Yeah, it it was. Yeah, and that was down in South Carolina. That was South Carolina was taking over in Vandy territory, and so it was a quick change situation. I, I wonder if um, they just rolled the guys back out there because they there wasn't like that time period to sort of get think uh, about it yeah get yeah. seller or get him warmed up or whatever because right after that uh sellers was on the sideline throwing i was like all right he, so he's obviously going in I, I wondered i actually wondered before that drive would they put sellers in or would they give doty one drive and then put sellers in and, and kind of how they would would handle that and um you know also something chris and i talked about on a podcast yesterday i didn't know how much they're kind of trying to manage sellers uh, games down the stretch either and you know I, I think you look at that and you look at th- there's a case to be made we had a long discussion about this on our podcast yesterday there's a case to be made that this might be these last two games might be when you finally do need the seller short yardage package considering that especially this week we'll see about Clemson but y- you don't it appears you're not going to have Joyner again. He's doubtful right, right. for this weekend. So you, you're going to need 
somebody else to to potentially carry the rock. Yeah, with with sellers, you know, we've gotten that question a lot in terms of probably two different questions. You know, number one, what is the actual threshold? You know, and then number two, how is the staff going to handle it? And I think number two is is what we don't know yet. You know, that's what we can all discuss. The first part, though, I mean, just to reiterate, because I, I feel like sometimes we'll say things like they're kind of gloss over in common knowledge. It's not always, I found out. And so four games, right, you can play in f- up to four games. Four, three, two, one, zero. And keep your red shirt. Um, Which, now, <laughs> and they might have that provision like they did last year where the bowl game won't count, but that's not that, confirmed that's not as of right now. Yet. Not official as of right and, now. And that was a one-year thing. And I think Wes, correct me if I'm wrong on the date, but last year the NCAA didn't issue that waiver until like December 16th. Yeah, it was mid-December. Like, so they, they waited pretty <laughs> long. They're like, hey, we're, we're going to help you manage your roster by doing this, but we're going to wait until... Everybody's, you know, everybody's already left. Yeah, the, wait till kind of the last minute. And so that's to help, presumably teams kind of manage the transfer portal roster defections Uh, a lot of guys obviously if they know they're moving on to the nfl they're going to skip the bowl game and so your numbers are down we saw it at south carolina last year their numbers because of injuries or different defections were way way down in the bowl game and so to that extent if you've got a guy who has played in four regular season games he can then play in the bowl and and that is even though it's a fifth game it doesn't count that was the case last year we do not know yet if it's going to be the case this year so if Lenore Sellers, you know, plays in these last two and then you want him for the bowl game, you do have to go in right now. It, and it, chances are, I mean, the staff, college football staffs, administrations, they may kind of have an inkling more than we do of, hey, the NCAA is probably going to do this again. But it's something you have to consider. So he can play in, in the last two games and preserve his red shirt, but then the bowl game would kind of be up in the air. Now the next part is how's the staff going to handle it? And Wes and I talked about this a good bit yesterday on our podcast. And I mean, me personally, where I kind of landed on it is right now, whether it's sellers or anybody else that may be close to that line, the the question that you ask is, will him being on the field playing help us win games? If the answer is yes, then you play him and you don't worry about the rest of it. So you bring up an interesting point, and I heard some other people bring this up too, with, you know, obviously you're going to be without Juju McDowell. It look like DK is going to be back at least for this weekend. What kind of possibilities or what kind of scenarios can you use sellers in? You talk about a package which you know makes you think okay, short yards lining up as a, as a quarterback and you know you know uh, doing a quarterback sneak or you know the RPO or something like that. Would there be an opportunity to maybe line him up as a running back too? I know he's obviously no. bigger than a normal running back, but if you're trying to get creative here, no, I I think you're, I think you're kind of. You're getting ahead of yourself with that. I, I think the the advantage of of having him run the football as a quarterback is you get an extra blocker. So I, I think to put him in there at running back, you're you're kind of and have him take a handoff. You're and he's not really used to that. I, I think you're thinking you're, you're overthinking it. I, I think to do that. I for me now, and I told Chris yesterday on on our podcast, I said now you do have to realize also. That means you're going to sub, and then your opponent's going to be able to sub. The beauty of Joyner in the Wildcat at times was that you didn't have to sub. You could just um, sort of motion Rattler out, or um, you know you could change the formation around and, and keep the same personnel. Well, if you're going to bring him in, obviously that's a sub, so then they can sub to Jumbo 
as well. So there's no real surprise when you do this. But he, I mean, he made a, I know it's high school, he made a living in high school in short yardage, just uh, pound the football situations where the entire stadium knew Sellers was going to run the ball and, and still had success. So I, I think even if it's something you show this week just to to make Clemson prepare for it, I, I think there's something to be said for at least having that you know, at your at your repertoire in your repertoire. Yeah, this this is a big, and we've seen only glimpses of it. But like Wes said, you can go back to the high school tape, and he was just automatic. And yes, I know there's a big difference between you know playing for a football and stepping up to the SEC. But the limited sample size we have on Lenora Sellers shows that this thing could translate. You know, he's got. It's not like he's running people over at the high school level, and then. You take him up to the SEC and go. Ah, well, I don't. I'm not sure if he's fast enough. I'm not sure if he's big enough. He checks all the boxes. Um, he plays with kind of like a flair. He's a little bit audacious as a player because he'll try things. You remember the the touchdown passes, the first one where he said he went back to the touchdown. You know, like he checked the play. You know, I'll just check back to the touchdown. That was a play where really that. I don't want to say he wasn't supposed to do that, but that kind of wasn't the end result of that play. And then if you missed it, Shane Beamer said, hey, we we really just kind of wanted him to hand that football off. But he kept it, he pulled it, and he runs for a touchdown. You know, breaks a tackle from an SEC guy and then outruns other SEC guys, even if it is Vandy. And so the, the skill set translates. And when you look at this South Carolina team, they've lost to carry on Joyner as their Wildcat quarterback. They're down, you know, to two scholarship backs. And this is a team that has already struggled in short yardage situations. You know, you think about third and two. You know, I, I remember a third and two play in the previous game. They put in to carry on Joyner as their wildcat guy. And we've seen that several times in short yardage situations. It's worked some. It hasn't worked some. So what's the solution, especially with a, a running back room that's kind of kind of down and includes a freshman running back? Here's a guy who's got big size and is really adept at getting yardage in these situations and you know kind of projecting ahead to next season where we can assume that he should be the starter in this offense again kind of seeing those glimpses in the limited time he's gotten to play and Spencer Rattler obviously has the ability to use his feet but that's not his mo when it comes to the offense you're not running the same like rpo concepts that you could with somebody like Sellers so I think that Dow Loggins is probably licking his chops at all the potential new things they could do with a guy like Sellers that maybe you don't necessarily do with somebody like Spencer. Yeah, and I think part of it is you don't you don't want to get Spencer hit a ton, honestly. And it, they're obviously different body types. And we've seen we've seen Spencer, I think, be very very good in some of the RPO concepts where you're you're throwing off of run looks and um, you know getting the ball out to the perimeter, getting the ball out in space, and he, he's made some really good decisions on that stuff, I think, and. It feels like he's kept a couple of more times the last few weeks than than maybe we've seen in the past or seen for most of the year so far. Uh, now, a couple of those keeps just didn't look right against Jacksonville State. Uh, the plays kind of blew up a little bit, I guess, but uh, he kept for a touchdown this past week, obviously. Um, so I, I think you have that, but you're not you're not going to go to that well to where you're just going to kind of ask Rattler to get hit three, four, five more times than he has to, especially when we know how many times he's gotten hit anyway in the pocket this year. Um, they, they have kind of gone to the QB sneak a little bit more down the stretch, it seems like, 
And so, you know, we'll see if that continues. We're, we're starting to see the – it's almost the tush push there. Yeah. The brotherly shove. But um, – what Chris? I like that name better, the bro- brotherly. I shove. like the tush push. I think it's kind of funny, but brotherly shove is more on brand for yeah Philly though. For really, yes. that's what they call it. Yeah, that. yeah. Well, they've proven that it doesn't it doesn't work for everyone. Got to have the right guys to do it. You got to have a Kelsey in there. You do have to have a Kelsey there. That, uh, that helps. P- potential sexiest man alive, Jason Kelsey. Have, have y'all seen that meme going around? And it's like the two of them. When they're, they're at Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Young Bucks. and oh, it's yeah. like uh, it's like don't give up. Um, <laughs> There's hope one, for you. One of one of these guys is the potential sexiest man of the year, or whatever it's called, and the other is dating Taylor Swift, and they just look like two. They look like two high school football players, like just hey. average regular old regular old Joes. Never give up. Never ever give up. You miss 100 percent the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, always. Um. There's been a lot happening in the world of college football outside of South Carolina over the weekend. We didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday because we were focusing on the Vandy game, but I need to get your guys' thoughts on a lot that's happened. With that coming up, you're listening to Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on The Game. Jimbo Fisher, head football coach, NCAA Division I Football National Championship, Texas A&M University. The only, <laughs> the only difference between Kobe's and yours is you get to fill in a date. <laughs> I hope I fill in a couple. <laughs> Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler West and Chris along with you on this Tuesday. There's two things wrong with what you just heard in that clip there. Just well, two? Just, ju- just two. Um, one, Jimbo Fisher won zero national championships at Texas A&M. And two, um, college football's uh, FBS championship is not recognized by the NCAA. So even if he did win one, that plaque would be incorrect. It would be a college football playoff national championship, not an NCAA Division One national championship. Minor details. Minor details. Um, but regardless, it's all for naught because uh, Jimbo Fisher won a total of zero as well as zero conference titles, zero division titles, zero playoff appearances. I can keep going on the list here. He accomplished pretty much nothing at Texas a and <laughs> Jeez, Tyler. It's tough. Are, are you a you a fan? I, I'm not. I don't have anything against the guy, but... It's just for the money that he got paid to underachieve the way that he did is kind of funny. So th- this, to me, is yet another reminder of how you you really just do not know <laughs> what tenure is going to work and, and what tenure is not. And, I mean, you, you have a national championship winning coach. And you're going to a place with, I don't want to say unlimited resources, but pretty daggum close. Like they, they have the resources to win. There's a difference between being a national championship coach and a program builder, though. Jimbo Fisher won a national championship, but he did not build that Florida State program that he won the national championship with. I think AM needed a program builder to eventually become a national championship head coach. But from a building standpoint, he has built a roster that I think should be competing with about anybody. But you still have to have the right culture with that roster. I can give you all the ingredients in the world, but if you're not a good enough cook, your cake's still going to suck. Yeah, but did he not have the culture when he won at Florida State? But a lot of that was a carryover from Bowden. He did, again, he didn't have to build that. He had good talent. And I think as the years go by, we credit Jameis Winston more and more with 
the ungodly season that he had in 2013. I think, and it, the talent that he had around. Well, him find too. a great quarterback is uh, yeah, yeah, that a, helps. A big that helps. part of the so so two equation. points. The culture, I think, was good enough slash fine when they were winning. It fell off at the end. I mean, I remember a pretty extensive ESPN story that came out, and it even quoted some of the players that were that were on that team, and and you could start to see some of the cracks. The thing is, they were just so good. They were just so much better than everybody. But, Wes, what you said, that's the difference. When I look at Jimbo Fisher's tenure at the end of FSU and going to Texas A&M, yeah, they had good players. A lot of really, There's a lot of NFL players at Texas A&M on this roster, the, the ones he's had in the past. The quarterback position is the, is the biggest one. It's glaring. If, if you don't have – I wouldn't even say in almost every circumstances an elite quarterback, you're not winning a title. Like, what, what's the last national title team that didn't have an elite quarterback? Maybe Jake Coker at Bama? Uh, like, he was a good quarterback? Yeah, he was serviceable, but, yeah, they had And that just, was a little bit – that was kind of not in that, like, ground-and-pound well, era, but, like, uh, going a little bit back to it. Yeah, uh, I mean, McCarron before that at Alabama, again, yeah. game manager type, type of quarterbacks. Yeah, nowadays you've got to have a dynamic – elite guy like even you know Stetson Bennett kept getting the game it was a ridiculous thing then it, it looks even more ridiculous now he was a dynamic quarterback but if you David Hale from ESPN put out a list the other day and I'm not going to sit here and count on air that's bad radio but it is probably 10 the last 10 to 15 quarterbacks that he signed the vast majority bus they were either dismissed from the team they weren't good they transferred you've got a never took a snap um you got guys that are injured. Like, you just have a lot of guys that were not good and didn't measure up to Jameis Winston and, and a lot of other championship-type guys, and that's the biggest difference, I think. Yeah, the um, the fact to, to me, though, is just, like, this was widely, like, oh, they, they went out and took Florida State's coach. Now, there, there obviously were issues behind the scenes at Florida State, and sure. sort of the, the spin at the time, which maybe – had was maybe steeped in reality is that there there was a breakup going on at Florida State anyway, but it's just it's very very yeah. awkward when well, you won a national title together. Well, people so, forget that Florida State team went six and six his last year. I think he he skipped the last game, so technically six and five under him, but they barely made a bowl that year. Yeah, so it that it, it was kind of like they went ahead and the next the next person. That he was going to date was already, yeah, picked. But there, there, there were some rocky times there at the end. But still, when you pay the kind of money that they paid him, and he somehow still had all the leverage, even though things were rocky at Florida State. If you don't have the leverage, you don't get this contract right. that has completely guaranteed money and has no offset clause. 77 million 77 and a half million no offset me. clause yep. like so he can go take a job and it's not going to affect he can stack any of that money yeah. yeah i don't know where he's gonna go well and, and i go to the beach jimmy sexton has me too i can see him doing tv but they might need like the closed captioning <laughs> have to it's slow not, him down it's not that. working yeah put him at hey, half speed if, if holtz can do tv well jimbo can do TV. Di- different different style jimbo very just, different style he's just the auctioneer. so fast yeah 
But, yeah, I mean, it is becoming a little bit more, and we'll see if administrations um, start fighting back against this if they can a little bit. But the the no offset thing, especially with Jimmy Sexton, who represents everybody basically, or most SEC coaches for sure, uh, has become more and more commonplace. And you remember uh, A&M's AD, Ross Bjork, was asked the other day about this in his press conference about the extension. Mm-hmm. Not not just bringing Jimbo on, but an extension, like an immediate extension. Right. You know, and he said, hey, at the time, that was the right decision. Well, because their best year was 2020. Right, the COVID him, year. right. I'll say of all years to have your best year, the one that everybody's like, oh, it's COVID, it doesn't count. Yeah, it doesn't count, but that's that's their best year. And then I think they were looking at LSU – Worried about LSU, mm-hmm. Jimbo Fisher's ties to there. Yep, and, and so Woodward, who had hired him, Woodward, who had, had hired him, and so you, you jump out and you do that. Well, now they're paying seventy-seven million dollars for him not to coach there. That's right, and it, they're it, on the search for a new coach. I, I will say this: it is. I'm sure it's tough as an administration to you're you're in a battle with these lawyers who th- this is what they were built to do. This is what they were trained to do, and. You're an administrator. This probably isn't among the top three skill sets it takes negotiating contracts with somebody who's been trained to negotiate contracts. And then your fan base, if if you were to lose a guy because you weren't willing to spend the money, like your fan base will spend your money all day long. We can all spend somebody else's money. Sure. And so, you know, it's, oh, we're being cheap. We're being cheap. We're being cheap. And then the second you get to the other side of it, it's, well, why don't we agree to spend all this money? You know, so I, I think it's um, it, it's tough to navigate. It, it really is. And you want to constantly be taking care of your coach if there's success uh, so that nobody else comes out and, and poaches them from you while also protecting yourself on the back end if it, it doesn't work out. And put you guys on the spot. The next ho- head coach of Texas A&M will be. Oh, gosh. Urban Meyer. Oh, really? No, I'm, uh, I'm, right. you know, I don't really believe that, but I but, think it'd be entertaining. I, I don't know, but if you're making me say what you are, I, I got Lane Kiffin. Interesting. I've seen that name pop up a few places. What do you think about that? He's always rumored for at least one job every year, right? <laughs> every well, single year. Well, okay, he tried for Auburn last year. There, that, there Why definitely, wouldn't he there, try for A&M? There's definitely a lot of fire to that smoke last year. He's, I, he's been a big proponent of, of saying, hey, NIL, we, we don't have enough. He literally just said this weekend after losing Georgia, we got to recruit better. Where's one place you, you can recruit a whole lot easier? More places that A&M. Have, yeah, I mean, it, it was said the other day, Pete Nakos from On3, who've had on the Garnet Trust Tower, talked to some SEC collective operators, and one of the quotes was, if it comes down to just dollars on the NIL front, A&M, you're probably not beating them. Yeah. Wes, what's your actual answer? That was it. That was it. That, it was that Urban it. Meyer. Um, I think it's going to come out of nowhere, honestly. I think it'll be maybe – I, I kind of like – I think Kiffin would kill it there. Yeah. Probably. Um, who's the UT – Jeff Trailer, which he shot that down, which that doesn't mean that doesn't anything. mean nothing. Nick Saban famously said, "I'm not going to take the Alabama Dan, job." Dan Landing shot it. Dan down. Landing also shot it down, yeah. which also means nothing. Willie Taggart shot down the Florida State job before taking the Florida State <laughs> job. So, I don't think it'll be Dan Landing. I, I think uh, Jeff Trailer would be okay. A that's like a under the radar. Yeah, I'll, uh, Jeff Trailer shot it down. Why would he? Like, yeah. I'm not taking that job. Pretty much. Come on, now. I don't know. Yes, you would. We'll see. <laughs> I, I, I think it'll be Mike Elko personally. 
but okay. we'll see what happens. Uh, that's not the only job that's open in the SEC. We'll talk about that coming up. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Our athletics department, I constantly look at ways that we can get better. Part of that is looking at the health of our programs. And when necessary, it's my responsibility to correct areas where we are falling short. It has become clear that we need a shift in leadership, so therefore we must act. Shortly after meeting with Coach Arnett, I met with senior analyst Greg Knotts and asked him to serve as our interim head coach for the remainder of this season. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler West and Chris. That was the voice of Mississippi State Athletic Director Zach Selman yesterday talking to the media about the details of moving on from Zach Arnett as their head coach wanting a shift in leadership. And obviously this is a Mississippi State team that we saw come into Williams-Brice Stadium early on in the season and uh, you know put, on a, put up a very good fight against South Carolina that the Gamecocks were uh, narrowly able to escape with that victory. And after 10 games, they've decided to move on from Zach Arnett is their head coach. Of course, he took over in the unenviable spot of uh, Mike Leach passing away last season. And I feel for the guy because that was not a spot that he expected to be in, kind of got thrust in the role. And, you know, what what could you really have expected from him in, in year one as a head coach when he'd never done it before? Um, but they've decided to move on from him. And now uh, also, like Texas A&M, will be searching for a coach in the next couple of weeks. Such a tough situation at Mississippi State anyway. And... You know, I, I think you kind of, to, to win there, you got to be a little bit more outside the box. You've got to, you can't just be, hey, we're going we're gonna to run the football and we're going to play great, you know, old school defense and, and that's just how we're going to win games. I, I think you, you know, going back to the Dan Mullen days, a little bit quirky head coach, um, has sort of a little bit different scheme, at least at the time, and you know, you look at the success that Mike Leach had, and and you had Arnett at the time running the defense, and so on both sides of the ball. Which he's a good defensive mind, by the way. Yeah, of of course, and I I think it's one of those things where, um, you can be an elite defensive coordinator, and that doesn't mean you're ready to be a head coach. And and it was a tough situation anyway. So you know, I I think you need to be a little bit unique, a little bit outside the box to win at Mississippi State. They had that on both sides of the ball with him running that three three five and Leach running his offense on, on the offensive side, obviously. But I just look back at the decision to completely blow up what you were doing on offense and completely change the scheme. I feel like that sets you back when you already were dealing with so many other things that were going to set you back. Yeah, it, it seemed like it would have been in hindsight. And it'll be interesting to see Zach Arnett, when he speaks publicly about this, I don't know what type of guy he is, if he'll open up and say, yeah, I, I screwed this up or I would have done this differently. But this very much had the feel when he took it over of, of just a potential Band-Aid, a potential stopgap. You look at the type of contract he got in an era where coaches and their agents have the advantage, as we just were talking about with Jimbo Fisher. I remember, I mean, Eli Drinkwitz has worked out well at Missouri, but his initial contract at Missouri was crazy mm-hmm. and he continued you know given the circumstances so you see that a lot what well, was the opposite here it's very cheap for Mississippi State to get out and so it seems like when assessing that situation it's, it probably should have been not a long-term play. like it seems like more of a long-term play what he did hey I'm going to build my identity the defense is obviously the same because it's my defense but I'm going to put my stamp on the program and build this when really, especially this day and time in college football, and especially given the circumstances he walked into, probably would have been better to keep more continuity 
on the offensive side of the ball to give yourself a chance to have a runway. Well, and that's what made the air raid such a good fit for what Mike Leach was doing because we talked about it. You can't recruit nearly the same way at Mississippi State as you can as an A&M or an Alabama. So the caliber of talent you have there isn't necessarily the same. You saw the perfect example of Will Rogers, you know, not a world-beating quarterback by any means, but he thrived in that system. When you put him in Kevin Barbe's system this year, outside of, funny enough, the game against South Carolina, he struggled mightily. And that, again, was uh, Mike Leach's ability. And Mike Leach, the innovator of the Air Raid offense, so maybe you think nobody could come in and run it the same way that he did, but that was a system that so many of those guys thrived in because they weren't your five-star guys left and right, and it wasn't this high-caliber talent that you have in other places in the SEC. And, yeah, massive step back this year. And, um, you know, now not only are you looking for a coach, but you, now you're the second most desirable job in the SEC right now, which already puts you at a disadvantage. You know, and I, I think you look at that decision, and yeah, nope, nobody else is going to come in and, and run the air raid like Leach. Uh, I think we had, was it Bo Bounds we had on the, the podcast? Yep. And he was like, look, guys, the air raid that Mississippi State was running, that was – the Mike Leach offense. Like, Mike Leach is the air raid. Like, everybody else, that the air raid is in every single scheme that exists now. Sure. Like, there, there are elements of it in every single scheme. But, um, you know, so, yeah, you couldn't expect, hey, come in and, and be Mike Leach. Not happening. But could you have brought in an offense that was much, much more similar in terms of the routes, the reads, the way it's built, just the foundational elements for your – Really, you're for your entire offense, and the fact we talk about the need for a quarterback. Yeah, you might have had a system quarterback in Will Rogers, but he was very, very good in that system. So th- that, to me, like, why would you not bring in somebody who's doing something similar? Because the Mike Leach coaching tree, that thing has a lot of yeah limbs at this point. Yeah, so, you just and, and what we've seen in the past is you see Lincoln Riley did this. Not saying he would have hired the next Lincoln Riley, mm-hmm. right? But Lincoln Riley was an inside receivers coach because they have like they normally have two receivers coaches in that offense. Inside receivers coach, and eventually he learned the offense. He started calling plays. Like you probably could have just promoted somebody to do that, and I would think you would have had better results than you had this year. Doesn't mean they would have been a great team. This was not a sure very good football team that was going to make a bunch of noise. But he might have salvaged his job after year one. I think that's possible and obviously will rogers was injured for a good bit of this year sure they had a lot of things that were kind of working against some tough deal as Wes said uh but but i think some of the decision making early on probably didn't help him um again they're gonna be looking for a coach as well and names getting thrown out there maybe a jamie chadwell willie taggart from uh tulane who runs a very different type of offense compared to what everybody else does maybe you could give dan mullen a call again hey want to come back to stark vegas that's that's exactly where I was going to go. We we've seen that trend, coaches going back to a place, and everybody kind of makes up. And I, I don't know exactly what the relationships are like. There, I don't know the inner workings, but I I mean I would hit up Dan Mullen, and then you mentioned Jamie Chadwell. That that makes sense in terms of going a little bit outside the box, a guy that's going to run a different scheme, and you know I I think Chadwell with the right defensive coordinator at Mississippi State to run that side of the ball, I think you might have something there. The problem with Mississippi State is just that your ceiling is is so limited. But um you're gonna have to take a chance on somebody. You're not gonna go get you're not gonna go get like Lane Kiffin or something right, like right. that. Sure. You're, you're gonna have to 
kind of moved down a little bit. It's got to be either an offensive coordinator or a guy that's a head coach somewhere where he's trying to bust up into the Power Five. So Jamie Chadwell has been waiting on his chance. Maybe this is it. Well, and, and I look at the fact, like, some of the names on the on Mississippi State hot boards, you've got, like, Lance Leopold, right? He's going to have a chance at some even bigger jobs, I think. I'd stay in Kansas for I, him. I can't the time imagine that happening. That's right. And so, you know, w- with Chadwell even, doesn't he make, like, $4 million in Liberty it's at pretty, Liberty? And, and he And he is kind of a different dude. Yeah. You know, I don't know that he's saying, I, I want to be the next head coach at, you know, I don't know, whatever big school, you know, Ohio State. And yeah. I, I don't know if he's like that. Uh, now, he'd probably take a job like that, but would he take Mississippi State? I'll tell you the guy I like for the Mississippi State job, John Sumrall at Troy. Young yeah, guy. That's another name that I've heard. Really good defense. They're they're good offensively. Um, I, I kind of like that as a under-the-radar fit. Not as proven a guy, but a really good recruiter. He has ties yeah. in the area. He knows the SEC. Right. Well, regardless, for both A&M and Mississippi State, ideally you're going to get that guy in here very soon before national or early signing day, excuse me, coming up in uh, just a couple weeks. So we'll keep our eye on that. Um, The other story dominating college football over the weekend, Jim Harbaugh. And he finally spoke yesterday, and he had a doozy to say then. We'll hit that coming up. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Perseverance, you know, and then the just the stalwartness of these guys. I mean – yeah, Watson, I would have to say, I mean, everybody. It's got to be America's team. It's got to be America's team. America, America loves a team that, that uh, you know, beats the odds, beats the adversity, you know, overcomes what the naysayers and, you know, critics, so-called experts think. Um, that's my favorite kind of team. And, yeah, watching it from, from that view on the television, I, it was – Finally, people get to see what I see every day. Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Weston, Chris, along with you. Um, the Cowboys, the Yankees, the Lakers, and the Michigan Wolverines, all America's team now, according to Jimbo, Jim Harbaugh. Not buying it. Not at all. What a de- delusion. Is that the right word to describe this? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those situations where you're – the question is, does he believe what he's saying? <laughs> if so, delusion, or is he just spinning this like uh, us us against the world, Michigan against the yeah. world? Like, is it just a one big coaching spin? Like, he doesn't he doesn't care how silly he sounds because his team is buying it. Based on the reactions that we saw before and after the game on Saturday with Michigan and Penn State. You know, the Michigan against the world t-shirts, uh, Sharon Moore with the emotional interview after the game, Blake Corum with all that he said. Like, he must have given the Southern Baptist sermon to them before that game. Because obviously he wasn't going to be on the sidelines. So whatever he said fired them up, and they believed every word because they, they think the world is out to get Michigan when they're the ones that broke the rules. They're the ones that like, oh, yeah, we, we did that. You got us. We're going to be punished. And, like, I don't get where this disconnect, and I get it. Like a locker room, you know, you got four walls. You don't hear what's going on outside of it. Like, there can be blinders to some degree. But, like, at some point, they have to understand, like, oh, we broke the rules. We realized we broke the rules, and now we're suffering because of it. You know, the world's not out to get you. I mean, I I think every everybody's with you, Tyler. I mean, no – 
it, they're playing victim. Yes, playing the victim, and you're, you're not. You're not. Nobody else thinks you're the victim. So, and the it, ba- it, they, they have. They, they've. It's the bunker mentality, sure. right? Like they. They know what the deal is, but it's self preservation and it's infuriating. They, well, they're not. They're. They're definitely not America's team. They're. They're, you know, America's villain right now. Like pretty much. Like, they're the heel of this story. They are definitely the heel. Um, but it's. It's been kind of fascinating to. That is one word for it. Which (laughs) the timing is interesting because Ric Flair did pay Harbaugh visit last week. So if that's not a wink, wink, nudge, nudge at playing the heel, I don't know what is. You think he's getting some tips? Dirtiest play in the game. I like it. Do you think the four horsemen were stealing signs from, like, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat or Roddy Piper prior to matches? This conversation is the intersection of every moment of Tyler's life. <laughs> He's so happy. It really point. is. I, I don't know how to answer that question. But, no, nah, this, this is a mess. I, I don't know where it's going. I mean. Well, I, and look, he's serving this punishment, which could get overturned if this restraining order gets granted to them on Friday, where then he's only having to serve this one game, ban, suspension, whatever you want to call it, like, it's a slap on the wrist at the end of the day because he still gets to participate in practice, gets to be at the walkthrough, gets to be at all the planning. He just can't physically be on the sidelines for the three hours that the game is taking place. But he's communicating with somebody via text or maybe he's old school, maybe AOL instant messenger or something <laughs> like that during the game. Like He's still in communication. He's still ingrained in this. He's just sitting in his hotel room eating pizza and drinking milk, apparently. I think he's uh, in, in his pants. Uh, do you think waiting he's, on Judge Judy after the game? Do you think he's uh, breaking more rules? Probably, probably to try yeah. to communicate. I mean, it, it gets to the point like you've already broken enough rules. What's breaking a few more? The the funny part about this and other like scandals, but we've seen it a lot with this, is there really needs to be a test for every collegiate fan base or even pro fan base, and it's this: when something happens to your team, right? What you normally see, like Michigan fans are fully convinced everything's fine. Like they've done nothing wrong. Sure. Everybody else piling on. And there's some massive conspiracy against Michigan and Michigan only by everybody else in the world. If you as a fan think that way, pretend that Ohio State did the same thing. Or Shoes on the other foot. Right. If they did that, how would you react? And then take that and kind of try to apply it to your situation. But that's the that's the fan experience. That's what's so... Uh, Frankly, awesome and fascinating about well, it. I love it is fans don't really think that way. Fan is short for fanatic for a reason. Yes, exactly. And the Michigan people are convinced they've done nothing wrong. Can this Michigan team win the national title? Or the college football playoff championship? Yes, not the, not the NCAA <laughs> Division One national title. Um, I think they're talented enough. I saw a team that lined up, what, 32 straight times and ran the football? So they threw one pass, but it was a P.I., so that doesn't count in the record books. But, yes, they ran at will. Penn State, Penn State's a good team, but they didn't have anything for them. I think they shouldn't have a problem with Maryland this weekend. We could coach that team against Maryland and win. Um, They, I mean, I feel like they're probably going to beat Ohio State, too. I would say it's good. They're not as great as they've been in years past. So there's every chance they could make the playoff and win the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, Tanch, I think they're good enough. I don't know if that would pick them to win it, but sure. they're good enough. They're at least it. half. It's not going to be some shock if Michigan wins No, not Michigan at all. Title. Now they may have to take that banner down in five years, but, you know, that's the that's the risky one when you break the rules, so we'll see what happens. But uh, an ongoing saga there at Michigan, giving us plenty of content, so I guess at the end of the day I can't complain. 
Uh, that'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Coming up next, it is the halftime show with myself and Terry Ford on your Tuesday on the game.